I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Foolish heroics, if you please. Is Dark Man. They destroyed everything he had. All that he loved. Everything that he was. Now... Crime has a new enemy, and justice has a brand new face. I was afraid that you wouldn't want me anymore. Of course I still want you. The good news is that I know who's behind our little troubles of late. Finish it. He has the power to look like any man. They still are both sons of witches! But he is unlike any man. I gotta tell you something about me. Hello, welcome to Rewatchability. We're part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network. I'm J.M. McNabb, joined as always by... Robert LaRonde. And Blaine is missing this week. He, there was a fire at his apartment. We think he's probably dead. We, fa- we found an <laughs> ear. So we're just going to guess that the rest of him is is has been burnt up. I don't know. Is this getting too dark? It's very dark. Appropriately dark. It's appropriately dark, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in case you couldn't tell from that uh, skillful banter, this week on the show, we are talking about Darkman, the 1990s Sam Raimi movie mm-hmm. starring Liam Neeson, Francis McDormand, and some other people that I mainly know from the movie Darkman, yeah. uh, who we'll talk about. <laughs> no other Oscar winners or celebrated uh, performers? I don't think so. Jenny Ogutter is Agutter. How do you say her name? I don't know. The the nurse from an American Werewolf in London is also a, oh. a nurse here, <laughs> right? Or or a doctor. I'm not sure. She works in a hospital, so that's a fun connection. Maybe it's that's the same enough. character. Good enough for me. Well, this is a big movie. We've talked about doing it for a while on the show. Rob, talk us through it. When did you first watch Dark Man? You know. I don't think that I saw Darkman. I think I might have seen part of it when I was younger. Like, this came out in 1990, so I would have been six. And I think I was scared of it, you know? I remember it having, like, a big, like, visual impact on me. I remember the poster. I remember there was a video game. But – and I, I, I seem to have, like, some memories of bits of the movie, but watching it again, I realized that if I had seen this when I was a, a kid, I would have been absolutely traumatized right. by Liam Neeson's <laughs> face. 
You mean before the accident? Yeah, yeah. Just, just the the Neeson of it all. It's too much. It's too. He he was a handsome young man at the time. He was. Yeah. No. Totally. I mean, I was trying to think like there. I'm sure this was the first time I'd seen him. Like, I don't think. He was really in that much before this. He wasn't a big star. Like no. they, they didn't sell this movie based on him. No, they sold this movie on like a trench coat and a, <laughs> a fedora, basically. It was the year of trench coats. <laughs> it's not even really like a trench coat. It's almost like a frock kind of thing. It's a, it looks like something like Ebenezer Scrooge would wear. <laughs> yeah, the wardrobe choices are interesting for this. <laughs> so you you may have seen it. You're not sure. I don't know. Yeah, but it was a movie that made a huge impression on me. And I remember, like, when I was getting into film, when I was, like, in high school, like, Sam Raimi was one of the directors who made it seem like something that could actually be done, like, who sort of connected it to, like, regular people. Because I knew that there were movies, and I guess that they were made by people. But until people like Sam Raimi were, like, making independent movies and sort of doing it their own way, like, it didn't it didn't occur to me that that was the way they were done. So I was a big fan of Sam Raimi. Mm -hmm. And I think I read a lot about this movie at that point, but I never went back and actually saw it. Um, it, it seemed like too genre-y. And now we live also in the age of comic book ubiquity, where like everything is a comic book movie. Back in these days, like this movie, which sort of like, you know, it apes sort of Batman, it apes the old shadow, that sort of comic book style or like grandeur wasn't available anywhere. So, yeah, I don't know. I didn't I didn't it didn't seem like it was worth going back, but I was interested to sort of take a look at it now. Yeah. What about yeah. you? The first thing I remember seeing uh, or the first time I remember hearing about Darkman was they advertised it heavily on the backs of comic books. Right. Time, I remember. Yeah. I remember seeing that poster. It's a beautiful poster on the backs of comics. It may have even been like a, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, it may have even been like for the Nintendo game. Right. Like it, it may have been like the poster, but then at the bottom, like, you know, shitty screen grabs of, <laughs> <laughs> of things that didn't even really look like the movie. Or maybe it was just the poster. I don't remember, but I remember it being marketed to me, I remember loving the poster, and then I remember seeing the TV ads, and like you being, because I was a little kid, I remember being like freaked out. Even though I was into comic books and stuff, I was not, you know, there's a lot of uh, horror elements in this movie, so mm -hmm. I was freaked out by the commercials. I loved the poster, and then I think it wasn't for another like year or two that I rented it with some friends. And yeah, the only thing I truly remember about this movie is that it freaked me out, that, that, that <laughs> I was scared by the sort of grotesque elements. Yeah, and it's funny to, I, I, part of the reason why I wanted to do it on the show this week is because I truly did not remember anything about it because I never went back and watched it again. And I don't know why, because th this movie has everything. <laughs> it has like. everything. Yeah, and uh, it, it's just funny to, I, I guess in the back of my mind, like, the first time I saw this movie, I had no idea who Sam Raimi was. Obviously, I hadn't, you know, seen, I hadn't seen Evil Dead at at six. But uh, <laughs> you uh, should have. I, I should have. Real uh, blind spot. <laughs> I was too busy watching today's special like a chump. Uh, but I, I, so I didn't know who Sam Raimi was, and for some reason, like over the years, not having gone back to it, I think. I tended to think of it as being like the movie because it was like his first, you know, studio 
movie right after evil dead 2 so like i guess i had a a thought of it as kind of like you know his his selling out movie his compromise movie a movie Mm -hmm. that doesn't like fully encapsulate his style and i think part of the reason why i had that idea in my head was because more recently i had seen some of the dark man sequels just like on tv oh uh, which we'll talk about later i I think they're both shot in Toronto, but we've talked about my dad's extra work before. My dad is an <laughs> is an extra in one of them. Oh my god! Uh, is he? Does he? Does Dark Man take your dad's identity? <laughs> oh man, he may have been my dad for the past few years. I, oh my god! We'll never know. No, I he's just like a guy on the street or something. I don't even know if you can see. Oh, him. that's I think awesome! It, I think it's Dark Man Three. But yeah, so like I kind of you know the the whole franchise kind of got lumped together for me. So I never really, I don't think appreciated the artistry of the original because Mm -hmm. going back and looking at it now, I mean, we'll talk about it, but like I was immediately, you know, slapped in the face by what a (laughs) fucking insane movie Mm -hmm. this is. It's so crazy. It's insane. And it's like, it's, I can't believe I thought it was, you know, it was Sam Raimi being reined in because it is so Sam Raimi all of the time, nonstop <laughs> for 95 minutes. Well, I think that he was reined in. And I think was, what I remember yeah. from, you know, I think that Bruce Campbell talks about this a little bit in his book. I think that he, you know, he talks about it like, yeah, it was compromised. He was originally, I think they wanted him to play Dark Man, but then the studio was like, we probably want to get an actor for this. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it sounded like Sam Raimi did have to like pull back a lot of the things that he wanted to do. That said, I mean, I think I'm on the studio side with this. I mean, as bonkers <laughs> as it is, I don't think it could be any more bonkers. Like, what else would you put in this? I mean, it has one of those duck things that like bobs up and down, and that <laughs> is used to explode two, one building twice. I, yeah, I, first of all, I do think Bruce Campbell is a real actor just before we get angry letters from. He's good. He's great. I I love him. And I think he would have been a great dark man. I, I, I truly do. But I, I think you're kind of right. Like the, from what I understand, and we'll talk about this more later, but like the studio was mainly just like cutting things down. I think it was mainly about paring down the length of it as as opposed to like, Mm -hmm. you know, changing the tone. Like one thing I did read was that one scene that's not in the movie Bruce Campbell said was his favorite scene uh, was uh, (laughs) like the bad guy, the one who's like wooing Francis McDormand, Mm -hmm. like a scene where he like comes out of the bathroom in his apartment naked and then he just like flops on top of a bed that's just like full of gold coins. Like... (laughs) Like he almost has almost sexual relationship with money, like almost like a perverted Scrooge McDuck. (laughs) And then like, yeah, and Bruce Campbell was like, oh, my God, that's my favorite scene in the movie. And the producer's like, I'll send you a copy because it's not going to be in the fucking movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think it was mainly about the length. But we'll talk more about that a little later in the show. Do you want to do a rundown of the plot of Darkman first? Yeah, I will try my fucking best. So (laughs) (laughs) it's about a man. Mm Mm-hmm. Not a light man. Mm. No. It starts with this, like, tough guy on the telephone, and he's, like, talking about how some guys are trying to, like, you know, muscle him out of something. And then this other sort of gang of guys comes, and, like, it's like this – it seems like it's going to be, like, this huge rumble. There's, like, 50 guys. It's, like, the most – 
it's the most actors I think I've ever seen on screen at the same time, in, you know, <laughs> since like Cleopatra or something. It's like there's so many people and they all like rumble and it's a massacre. And then this one guy, he 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 takes a cigar and, you know, he chops the end off as I believe you do with the cigars. I don't know. I'm not a rich person. And then he uses the cigar thing to like cut off the fingers of this guy who was seemed like, you know, the biggest, toughest guy in the first frame of the movie. And uh I mean it's 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 crazy. Yeah. It's I horrifying. Also we we should mention that uh there's a scene where they frisk them, they make sure there's no guns that this gang's bringing in, but they pull the old artificial <laughs> leg is secretly a machine gun gag. Yep. Yep. So right away, this movie is is pretty bonkers in the best possible way. Yeah. And then it starts, and we've got the opening credits. I loved. I love a movie in the '90s where the opening credit title also like has like a logo, you know, <laughs> or like you know. I don't think the first poster even had like the logo where the A is the silhouette of Darkman yet, right. like the sequels did, but like. You remember what? Did you ever have that feeling where you'd go to see a movie and it had like a great logo or font or something on the poster that you so identified with the movie? And then you went to go see it. And in the opening credits, it was some shittier, more boring font. Yeah. And it was disappointing. It's so disappointing. Yeah. That's the reason I go see most movies for the <laughs> font. Well, you know, you know what I mean, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was a thing like as a kid, like, I don't know, like uh, Jurassic Park, even like. It was the same lettering, but I kind of thought maybe the dinosaur logo would be in. I don't know. I was a dumb right. kid. Let's move on. Uh, okay. Okay. And then well, we've also got the Danny Elfman music, which is right, almost shamefully similar <laughs> to the Batman music. I know. I was like, am I watching Batman? <laughs> I mean, at a few points in this movie, I was like, am I watching Batman? But, yeah, you know, what can you do? But we also have... Liam Neeson, and he is a scientist of some sort. He's in the lab. He's trying to put together this artificial skin. We see him scanning old pictures and sort of building these like bad CGI models of 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 noses, and then he prints them out on a 3D printer, I guess. Yeah. And then uh, we can all we, do that now. Anyone with a 3D printer can just make their own nose. It's I made cool. three noses today. <laughs> But the problem is, is that they're not quite stable. He hasn't figured out how to keep them so that they stay together for longer than 99 minutes, I think it is. After that, they just sort of, like, turn to goop, and it's no good. But, you know, he's working hard on it, and he thinks he's, like, pretty close to cracking it. And he's got a good life besides that, you know? He's dating Frances McDormand, mm -hmm. which is pretty much, like, the best thing in the world. I mean, she's amazing. She's she amazing. Yeah. She's she's so good in this. It's amazing how she just like it seems like she just came out like fully formed. Like I don't know how many movies she did before this, but she was just like, you know, I'm Frances McDormand. This is what I do. Yeah. And uh, it's great. I've been thinking. Mm -hmm. We should get married. Marriage. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And I've just started getting things going at the time, and I really like having my own place. But we're practically living together now. Oh. <whistles> All marriage means is you answer the phone in the morning, and if it's my grandmother, you don't have to pretend it's the wrong number. <laughs> Poor woman's beginning to think she has Alzheimer's. I can't talk about it now. Come here. 
fools. I'm asking you to marry me. Pete, I love you. I mean, I realized. But I got to think it over, okay? And she, yeah, the only thing I remember seeing her in before this, personally, was probably Blood Simple. Mm. That would make sense. And, you know, I think part of the reason she got the job was because, you know, she was friends with Sam Raimi because they all like, you know, she and her future husband, uh, which one is it? Joel Cohen she's married to? I think so. Her her and the Cohen brothers and Sam Raimi like all (laughs) live together in that house in the 80s, you know, that mythical movie house. And and, like the Cohen brothers did like punch up on the script and stuff. Yeah. Or, Or like helped, you know, helped Raimi figure out the story so like it it makes sense that she's here but you know i I don't know if you read this but apparently they had like some problems while they were making it they had some friction yeah that's right yeah they didn't seem to get along and uh but they they seem to have made up but oh uh, yeah yeah totally but i yeah friends and i even like i was reading interviews with her where she was saying like she wished she had done something a little different in this because she she was kind of pushing back against like doing the sort of traditional damsel in distress kind of role mm-hmm. but, like i think that would have been so boring i you know i love that she's doing her thing here like it, yeah it, it could have been such a stupid part but it's not because it's francis mctormand yeah absolutely and yeah it starts off really good for her like she is i think she's a lawyer but basically she's discovered that this guy is uh, is bribing people. This developer is bribing people. And so she's going to confront this guy. And she goes up and confronts him. And is like, hey, I saw that there was all this money going to people. Like, what's the deal? And he's like, oh, it's bribes. And she's like, what? <laughs> what? You, you're just not supposed to admit it. Yeah. Well, she's also like, yeah, I figured. It's like, no, don't, don't go to the guy you think is doing the bribing. Like, <laughs> go to anyone else. It was kind of similar to uh, Batman Returns. Yeah. Like that was a big problem in the early 90s was women going to their bosses and pointing out crimes that they committed uh and leaving ample opportunity for them to try and commit murder. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a smart idea. Though even though this guy does not attempt to murder her right away, which I oh, I thought true. that was going to be the next thing. I thought it was going to be like one of those situations where she was going to get defenestrated or something like that, you know, turn into a a, a cat type crime person, cat burglar, dealie. But that's not what happened. She, he just says, oh, yeah, well, I mean, there's another guy who probably will do anything to get it back. And then that's the end of the scene. And they, we, you know, it's not quite a threat from him, but it sort of is. It's, it's weird. Yeah, and you'd think at that point she would be like, I should probably go get that document. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> this seems very <laughs> sketchy. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should have told the police before I was coming here, you know? She also uh, told him specifically, he's like, can I see it? She's like, it's not here. It's in Liam Neeson's loft (laughs) on the bed. (laughs) It has the coffee coffee stain? stain? Yeah. Uh, What kind of coffee coffee stain? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not the one with the Sanka stain. It's the one with the coffee stain. It's different. That's different whistleblowing. Yeah. But Liam Neeson, he's just minding his own business in the lab. And meanwhile, he gets attacked by these guys, Durant and his men. That's the bad guy's name, Durant. And they let's be confused with the band Durant Durant. <laughs> yeah, it's two twice guys. as bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they kill his lab associate, lab assistant, and uh, and then they beat the living shit out of him. And like 
the violence in this, it's like Three Stooges level almost. Like at one point, he, they throw him so that both of his hands are on these electrical coils and he yeah. gets like electrocuted. <laughs> and then his hands sort of go through like the Evil Dead transformation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. And then, yes, this is where they do the uh, the uh, the bobbing bird explosion thing where they set it up so the bird is bobbing closer and closer to this lighter which when it lights will ignite these chemicals that are spraying out of these big containers and you know liam neeson sees it and he tries to stop it he tries to stop this bobbing bird yeah but alas you can't stop uh, those things they were built they knew how to make them back then who does the bird for whom does the bird chirp? I don't know. But he <laughs> he gets blown away. And also, I think, isn't like Francis McDormand right outside of the loft when this happens to? Yeah. It, it explodes. He gets blown away. And he goes flying through the air going, ah! <laughs> yeah, he sure and does. And then it transitions in like this amazing, you know, very like... I, I'm sure it was supposed to be very arty way, but the compositing is just really bad where, you know, Francis McDormand is watching the explosion and then, you know, like a veil sort of appears on her and she's at his grave. Oh, I love that. I love every like weird, like every time they had a, a chance to do some kind of like weird, outdated, artful transition or, or, you know, camera move, they, they do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I love them too, but I also struggle because a lot of them, they don't look good necessarily in like. I mean, it's silly, but like, I mean, they know it's silly. Before we get away from the loft, though, I do want to talk about this loft for a minute because. Great loft. I watched the movie with my wife and she was very grossed out by the fact that this loft was like that when we kind of realized that his lab is also like where he sleeps and eats and everything. It's just yeah. kind of, I don't know, like. I. I would feel weird like eating a meal in the same space where someone has been like cooking up noses <laughs> in the afternoon. Yeah, that's right. Like you accidentally drop a nose into your chili. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> but I don't know. It just seemed kind of weird. And that also reminded me of another Sam Raimi movie, Spider-Man 2. Oh, yeah. You've got another mad scientist with a lab inside of his loft that similarly ends terribly and turns him into a kind of like villain anti-hero kind of guy. I guess he's more yeah. of a villain in that movie, but it seems like the origin story of Darkman is not that dissimilar from Spider-Man 2. I mean, people who, you know, remember Darkman better at the time probably realize that I'm just cluing in now. I yeah, I I think that makes sense. And obviously like Darkman does set up Sam Raimi's Spider-Man career very nicely. I mean, even though it's a different tone yeah. that it has, there are a lot of the elements that do work. And a lot of things that maybe don't work in Darkman, like, definitely seem like they're the work of a filmmaker who's just still trying to figure out his shit. Like, it's not easy to make a movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, like, Sam Raimi has, like, the ingenuity to try whatever it takes to get the effective shot. And, you know, yeah, a lot of the times it really pays off. But so Liam Neeson is dead or he's not dead. He's rotating on like a disc in a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> yeah, it seems more like torture than anything. Why did they have him on that wheel? The doctor who's explaining literally everything about him doesn't explain that one thing. <laughs> 
That's uh, Jenny. I, how do you say her name? It's A G U T T E R. I've never mm. had to say it out loud before now. Mm, I don't know. But what's she, she from? She well, she's an American werewolf in London. Ah, right. And she's in Walkabout. She's in lots of stuff. She's she's great. I was hoping she'd be in this board because I just there's something about like her voice is so nostalgic. I find it like very soothing. Mm. Her presence, even though she's kind of like a terrible character. <laughs> Well, you know, I thought that they let her talk so much and she gave so much information. I assumed that she was going to be in more of the movie. But then Liam Neeson just sort of uh, takes off and starts, you know, running in his like bandages. And that's it for her. It does make you question the security of the hospital. (laughs) Like a guy literally head to toe in bandages just strolls out of there. Yeah. Yeah. But. What this woman does tell us is that they had to do this thing because, you know, he was so disfigured. He would be in so much pain that he wouldn't be able to survive. So they, like, severed some sort of nerve or something, which will which doesn't allow him to feel pain anymore. Yeah. But Which she demonstrates co- by poking him a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. It's like, see? <laughs> she is a psychopath. Yeah. But the compensation is, like, in a sort of daredevil way— is that he it will go insane, basically. He, he has, like, <laughs> emotional problems, and he's going to, like, act out. And, you know, she just says, yeah, he'll probably uh, he'll probably be psychotic. But Wait, uh, did Daredevil go insane? No, but I'm saying it's like that thing where, because he's blind, his other senses compensate, right? Oh, okay. I'm saying it's the same thing. It's like Dark Man can't feel pain, so he goes insane. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's similar. I don't know. <laughs> Psychologists get back to me on this. But yeah, he 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 breaks out and then he just sort of like wanders the streets for a while and tries to sort himself out a little bit, but you know, he goes back to his loft and it's all exploded and he looks at his face and it's fucking hideous and he it's it's so sad. Like Liam mm-hmm. Neeson, first of all, he's really good. He is a good actor. Sometimes he's just like he'll I mean, in ordinarily it would be kind of stupid when, you know, he looks in the mirror and he's like, oh, God, oh, God. You know, like that could be a really cheesy sort of line. It's like basically this movie is like they took the scene from Batman where he's like mirror, mirror and extended yeah. it for like two hours. <laughs> but Liam Neeson pulls it off. He has all the uh, all the chops to like make it seem like he's like a really tortured individual. Yeah. I mean, and obviously like I love the I I love the things they're playing with in this movie because there's so much like universal horror monster mm-hmm. old, you know, 30s and 40s monster movies kind yeah. of elements at play here like it feels very much like, you know, the invisible man and like the phantom of the opera and yeah. like, all of these things Frankenstein. Like it, it, yeah, and it but but it kind of, you know, it takes all that and it makes it something new and it makes it new in like this kind of superhero framework, but mm-hmm. it it all just does it so well. I don't know and it's a hard balance to strike, I'd imagine, like having something be like so goofy, but then also have it feel like so classic and feel so grounded. Mm-hmm. Man, I just yeah, I I really like this movie. Let's keep talking about it. It's it's so weird, like the tone of the movie. Because on one hand, like yeah, Sam Raimi is a comedic director. Like he's gonna put funny stuff in there, yeah, no matter what. And some stuff that is just sort of like silly. That is just like the Sam Raimi sort of style of humor. And then 
on the other hand, like there's some really serious stuff and some really serious themes and some really serious acting in this movie. But it, it it sort of does work. It all sort of does work. But so eventually, after he sort of gets the lab back set up, he starts, you know, printing out faces. Oh, and he's going to recreate his face. But because the picture has like a, like a quarter of his face missing, it's going to take like 600 hours to recreate <laughs> this with like a 1990 computer, which is crazy because, you know... One side of your face kind of just looks like the other side of your face. Couldn't you just like, you know, flip well, that's it? That's what he did. You know? He like copied and pasted it from one side of his face to the other. Why did it take 600 hours? Well, for one thing, it was 1990. For another, all those computers had like exploded <laughs> like, I guess like 24 true. hours ago. Like I was <laughs> impressed that he got any functioning equipment after that. Yeah, And he's also fair. like, he's also working out of like an abandoned like smelting plant that was seemingly abandoned because, like, the hair metal bubble burst the year before. <laughs> so they can't shoot any That was Cinderella's uh, rehearsal space. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and it's, yeah, I, so he's got, like, this lair. He's got this kind of bat cave where he's doing that. But he's also, like, he's able, while they're rendering, like, the, the copy and paste job, he's able to print out, like, other people's faces. Like, yeah. that's pretty easy to do. Yeah, um, apparently other people's faces aren't a problem. It's just yeah. his own hideous face. I mean, hideously <laughs> handsome, Liam Neeson. But yeah, he so he he you know he starts to, to get vengeance against the people who have hurt him. Like he kills that one guy, Ted Raimi, uh, Sam Raimi's brother, who oh, is yeah. the guy who shot his lab assistant. Mm -hmm. You know that guy just doesn't quite look like he fits in the movie. And I like you know he's fun to see, but it's like. He's like a little bit too baby faced for the uh for the gang thing, but uh Well it did seem like he was a little like nervous about like committing the murder. Yeah. I don't I, I don't know. It seemed like maybe he's supposed to be like a little meek or something. There's also Could a weird be. scene right before he gets murdered where like they're at a party with uh Frances McDormand and her boss and, and Darkman spying on them. And right. like and Durant's his boss is like I'm said like, do you want a martini? And he's like, going to the bar, and I, I don't know. It's just so weird. It's like, why? Because like he's supposed <laughs> to be like this tough guy who like doesn't, you know, is like the scariest guy, but he's like pretty considerate. He's offering to like go get people drinks. I thought there was going to be like a follow up to that, you know. <laughs> he's just always was. offering people drinks. <laughs> well, no, but then it'd be like, I, I don't know. Like, why would you have like a scene where he's being nice randomly for no reason? I, yeah. I, I there, there was probably a follow up to that that got cut now that I'm thinking about it. But yeah, maybe he is a, an interesting villain because he's not blatant. He's not loud. He he doesn't seem like psychotic. He just seems like very calm. And uh, yeah, and the finger thing is is definitely creepy. The collection. Yeah, because he, he collects them, too. He Yeah. Yeah. So Liam Neeson starts framing the cronies. He like prints out one guy's face and then he knocks him out. And then he uh, takes on that guy's identity and sort of like frames him by like taking some money that he was supposed to get at a drop. And then that guy gets you know, thrown out the window by Durant. Yeah. You okay, Polly? Yeah. Here's the cash.
been very concerned about you. Hey, Mr. Durant. I must have overslept. I'm sorry. I guess I missed the pickup, huh? And I should point out, you know, kind of the elephant in the room is like, you know, we're telling a story about Liam Neeson going on a revenge spree. <laughs> kind of a slippery slope. <laughs> oh, shit. Today. Oh, but, my God. Yeah. Especially with yeah. Liam Neeson. Well, that's shit. what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. But uh, now I'm sorry I brought it up. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> I well, just felt I mean, like I had to mention it because it's, you know, it's literally, I, you yeah. do, you do. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the, it's like the thing that I thought about the most while watching this movie too, because yeah, I mean, I love Liam Neeson, but also he hasn't been around that much since he said that thing. He said it like to promote a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, we haven't heard from him since. Yeah. It was just a pretty horrifying thing to say, you know, yeah. to promote a movie. And a horrible thing to like admit to having ever thought or like done. Like that's it, a you know. It was a horrifying thing to talk about and admit and say, but it was just like extra weird because it was like in the context of like a movie press junket. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just, he, like so, he, like there, you know, like I I've gone and done those like movie press junkets where you go and you sit with an actor or something for like five or ten minutes and you you know, get some blurbs to write about. And then you go like, it's not like a space for like, you know, examinations of like <laughs> racial bigotry and like, you know, prejudice and, and hate crimes. And yeah. it was just so weird that that would be like what he would bring to this, you know, this uh, interview to promote a movie about a guy who would went around killing drug dealers with snow plows. Like yeah. everything about it was crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, he okay. gets some more revenge. Yeah, <laughs> he, ain't, he ain't stopped yet. He he dresses up like Durant, and he he does this thing where he robs a convenience store as Durant, and then Durant gets arrested, and then he goes and pretends to be Durant during this business deal so that he can uh, get the money. But then Durant gets out of jail, and he rushes over to the place where the business deal is happening. At the same time, and they just sort of run into each other. It's really awkward. But it's all, you know, this movie is just so well constructed because I love the, like, you know, five minutes in the movie, we set up that, like, this skin does not stay cohesive mm -hmm. after 99 minutes. So, like, automatically you have, like, this tension baked into the scene because they very well could have just had him, like, making faces and, like, going around <laughs> wearing people's faces like, you know, Ethan Hunt, and it would have been, mm -hmm. like, you know, still dramatically interesting. But to have that extra element where he's constantly checking, like, his stopwatch and you know that 99 minutes, you know, his face is going to melt, like, at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, it's just <laughs> such a... And then you also have the real Durant coming, so you've got, like, you know separate avenues of of suspense you know uh, i just thought it was great it was so uh so well conceived so well executed it was uh, pretty good i mean it was so good that i think he actually pulled off the like shoot him no yeah. <laughs> he's the real one which one do i shoot yeah it was so good also while i'm thinking of it um that guy i think it was the guy who was like which one do i shoot he was also a henchman in Toy Soldiers, which we talked about last week. Oh, shit. Yeah, he gets around. He henches around, man. The one with the ponytail? 
Yeah. And there's another guy, one of the guys in Toy Soldiers was like the henchman in Total Recall. Did you talk about that guy? Ah, uh, no, no. What was his name? I can't, oh, I can't remember his name now, but yeah. Like there were, there were a lot of people that were just like henchmen in movies. It was a, it was a good career in the 80s. You could get a lot of work henchmening, you know? People yeah. needed henchmen. You know? And what's, what's his name? The guy from like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon? Oh. Oh, you mean like Al Leong? There's so yes, many henchmen. Yes. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. They're yeah. Someone should just like I would buy like a coffee table book about eighties <laughs> and nineties henchmen. Yeah. I think that would be an essential for every living room. Mm-hmm. Also, he has sort of re established things with Francis McDormand. Once his face prints out, He's, like, getting back in the game. He puts that shit back on. And, I mean, maybe not, like, the most advisable thing to surprise your girlfriend who thought that you were dead at the cemetery. There's a little bit of a zombie element. Also, we should mention that before Liam Neeson died, he, like, asked Frances McDormand to marry him. And she was, like, basically, like, so nonchalant about it. She's like, ah, I don't have time for this right now. I'll think about it (laughs) if you insist. But, uh, you know... I kind of think that was awesome. Yeah, but then it seemed like she was going to marry him when she went just before the explosion. She she was like talking to herself. She was like, "I will marry you." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but that yeah. If, if you are secretly alive, don't surprise people at the graveyard. That's, no, that's not a good. But I mean, he's also kind of like losing touch with reality, so maybe he thought that would be a pretty chill thing to do. Yeah, he keeps on having these, like, whenever he gets emotional, he has these, like, um, psychedelic flashbacks. Yeah. It's like colors and lights and then scenes of him, like, getting beaten. It is, yeah, it's it's neat. It's great. It's like a a comic book. Yeah, it's like a comic book or like a silent German movie or something because it's just, like, like weird nerve, close-ups of nerves and, you know, sparks. and Yeah, it's great. Yeah, but... He tells Francis McDormand that even though he wants to have everything back the way that they are, that he, you know, he still needs a little bit of time. And we've all heard that before, ladies. You know, he can't commit because he hasn't figured out how to make his skin stay on. It's a metaphor for fear of commitment. Yeah. Yeah. But this scene, I mean, this was this scene blew me away the scene where they're at the cafe and they're talking and Liam Neeson is like trying to like explain to her and he he asks her like hey if something had happened and i was say hideously deformed you think you would still be able to uh you know think we could still go back the way things were and she's like uh you know i don't know yeah i don't know <laughs> which is a very sensible thing to say like Francis McDormand again with the sensible things yeah, she's like, thank goodness you're not, because that, that sounds awful. Well, just because you should talk about these things. Like, again, if you're hideously deformed, don't keep it a secret. Like, be upfront about that. Work past it, you know? Maybe yeah, he's, you can make he's it work. lying to her about everything. Like, yeah, she he's lying about, like, what the doctor said, and he pretends that he wasn't scarred at all. But, like, yeah, like, you wish he would be a little more upfront about it, because it's almost... I mean, I get it's a very sad story, and it's pretty brutal what happens to it, but it's almost a best-case scenario. Yeah. In that, like, if you get exploded and all of your skin burns off, the silver lining here is you're, like, one of two guys in the world (laughs) that knows how to make skin. It only lasts for 90 minutes, but still... 
pretty Dude, lucky. You could make just like mass manufacture that shit. You could make a whole bunch of skins. So you put you change your face every hour and a half. Big whoop. You know, you just excuse yourself. Go to the bathroom. Yeah. You know, people just think you have a coke habit. It's fine. Because it's not like, yeah, it's not hard for him. Like, we see at the end, he's got, like, a closet full of faces. Uh, yeah. He's got, like, he's got like the the Carrie Bradshaw closet full of shoes, but it's faces. <laughs> it's, it's horrifying and uh, impressive. Yeah, so just, like, he could just do that. He could just live his life and just, like, change his face every so often. Yeah, but he hasn't finished getting revenge, and I think that's, like, the main that's thing that's yeah. keeping him from, uh, you know, just settling down again. He still needs to get some more revenge. But also, you know, things aren't so easy because he keeps on having these, like, near breakdowns. Like, he goes to the carnival with Frances McDormand, and he's just about to, like, tell her that he's been deformed. He's about to, like, explain everything to her, and he overhears a carnival barker talking about a freak like displaying a freak like i guess this was still a thing in the 90s all right jules listen to me i gotta tell you something about me how i've changed when i was in the hospital half man half beast Witness this cruel accident of science with your own eyes! Everybody gather around and look closely as you can see... Paid what? Paid what is it? And he gets totally thrown off because it's like the carnival barker is talking about him because he feels like a freak. Oh, and we haven't even talked about that moment in the lab where he goes insane and goes, I'm a dancing freak. I'm a dancing freak. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he gets angry at the cat. It's so funny. It's so crazy that Liam Neeson is doing that from Schindler's List. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Do you think, I mean, I kind of suspect that maybe Steven Spielberg saw Darkman and was like, he can play a lot of depth and like, you know, light and darkness. Maybe, no? Yeah, because there was like, yeah, a sense, I think, among like people our generation, maybe, who either didn't see Darkman or saw it when they were a bit too young. Like, we all just got used to Liam Neeson, the serious actor who was in Schindler's List and like Rob Roy and shit Mm -hmm. like that. That like yeah, when he started doing Taken movies in in the two thousands, it was it seemed like this crazy, pulpy deviation from his career path. But like, yeah, like the first thing I saw him in was this movie. This movie <laughs> is ridiculous yeah. in the best possible way. But like, yeah, it's it's funny to think that that there's that perception of of him like shifting gears when he's always been you know pretty versatile. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was definitely there's definitely been periods for him. Like there was like definitely an arty, you know, dramatic period for him. And then he did start doing more of like the mainstream movies. Like, you know, he was in Batman, obviously, as Ra's al Ghul. I like the ones that he does. Like, Jin, I didn't Star really, Wars. I don't really like the Taken movies, but I like the movies he's done after that where it's just like thrillers on a different mode of transportation. <laughs> like it's Liam Neeson on a train, it's Liam Neeson on a plane, it's you know, it's the Dr. Seuss story of Whoa. Liam Neeson. You know, like I like I like those, I got to admit. That's cool. I mean, it's good. I've also 
I don't know if you remember, but like a few years ago, while he was doing an Adam McGoyan movie, his like was it his wife or his partner like died pretty tragically in a ski accident. Tasha yeah, Richardson. Yeah, Tasha Richardson. But it almost seemed like when he started those movies, it was maybe like a therapeutic thing. Yeah, it's like I think he said it, said as much maybe at one point. That is something to that effect. Like, yeah. just do something fun. Like, yeah, when you've experienced a tragedy like that, you're not, you know, he's not signing up for Schindler's List too. <laughs> oh my God, are they? Were they making that? I think so. <laughs> it's in development, but yeah, he's definitely had an interesting career. That's for sure. Yeah, he's I- he's uh, an interesting man. But there's more crazy stuff that happens in this movie too. Like he finally like fights Durant and they end up like sort of he's trailing on a helicopter. It's crazy. And eventually like he hooks the helicopter up to a car that's going under a bridge and Durant sort of, you know, explodes in the helicopter. But then he has to go after this CEO guy, this like developer dude who you find out Francis McDormand took some comfort in. After Liam Neeson's death, mm. though he's not bothered by it, I mean, because he's more relieved that he didn't have to tell her that uh, he was horrifically disfigured. And this guy, like his whole master plan is <laughs> is basically to just build some condos. <laughs> yeah, it's Brad Lamb. That's a Toronto reference. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Yeah, yeah it was, but there was like, yeah, there was a while in movies, and maybe it's still happening where, like, yeah. Real estate developers were like the go-to villains. They are pretty villainous, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> it's I true. mean, I was, you know, I was definitely like against this guy. They they show him like all the stuff that he's building and like all the skies, all the you know, there's the scaffolding and everything like that. And it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, he's he's evil. He's yeah. he's a bad dude. And that's like, they true. Don't they show that like people are being you know thrown out of their houses or priced out of the city or anything like that. But like, you can feel it. Yeah, well, he also, like, when he's when they go to, like, the construction site at the end, he's, like, dancing around the, the beams because he said he grew up on construction sites because his dad was also a real estate developer. So he's, like, he's probably, like, an old money kind of guy, you know. That was kid. really good, too. I like that part as well. That Man, was, like, a really that good. Movie, that part's crazy because I keep saying using the word crazy. I'm sorry. But <laughs> I was reading about the making of the movie because watching him, you know, like, dance around on this uh, construction site. Makes you a little nervous because, you know. I, I felt nervous. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, that's that's crazy. Obviously, they, they just built a set and they're just, you know, they're probably like a foot off the ground. No, they built a set that was like something like three stories high or something. So they were actually like up pretty high. And at one point, that actor fell off of the beam and like broke his femur. Oh, my God. And had to be taken to the hospital. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Wow. They would just CG that now. But. Well, it fucking it worked because I, I felt like I was getting vertigo just watching it. Like, yeah. It was very effective. Though also it did feel like Batman because they go up to the top of the thing in Batman. But it also just seems to be like a convention of those like, you know, um, almost like um, gothic adventure stories where well, like, yeah, you fight the monster or the baron or whatever at the turret you know, at the top of the castle. It's true, but, you know, it also kind of reminded me, like, there. it did seem like there were a lot of elements that kind of fed into uh, The Dark Knight, which yeah. uh, is also a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. 
And also had like a a guy whose face was blown off, right? Going around like you know killing off mobsters to get revenge, and then it also ended at a construction site like that. Mm. So I, I I see some similarities between interesting these movies, uh, but no then incredible. yeah, he the bad guy tries to kill him with like a nail gun. He so good. does not succeed. <laughs> Because he he hulks out, he gets like his uh, his rage boost of strength. Yeah, and then so he beats the bad guy, and then <laughs> I do kind of love the last scene because it's not like this epic thing or like they don't make a big deal of it. Like because he saves Francis Francis McDormand, he loves Francis McDormand, but like he's basically like. I'm pretty nuts right now. <laughs> like I, I just because he also like kills the guy because the guy basically says to him like. You're you can't not, do it. You're you're a good guy. Like I know you're not going to do this, and he lets him drop to his death anyway. So then, it, then they take an awkward elevator ride down, and then he basically is like, "Look, I don't think I should be in a relationship right now." <laughs> <laughs> Going through a lot of stuff. I've got some things to sort out, and uh, you believe him. You believe him this time. And yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. he's turned into like the ugliness outside has sort of turned inside. You know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but I like that. And then he like puts on a new face and runs away. And she chases after him, but you kind of get the sense that like she's yeah, she she's probably on board with the whole Yeah, it's like a half ass starting up their relationship again. Dude doesn't have lips. How are you going to kiss that? <laughs> also, how is he talking? I'm pretty sure you need lips for those sounds like M. I do love the look of like yeah, the like false teeth through the bandage like mm-hmm. when he has the bandages on but you just see but you see oh, the teeth so and creepy. you can tell he doesn't have lips it's great it's the, yeah there's something about it that feels iconic it also reminds me of the evil dead 2 video cassette cover because yeah. um <laughs> because it has the teeth but also it has eyes still yeah no reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's good but yeah and that's that's dark man yeah oh and then at the end he's bruce campbell so oh yeah that's right. And I don't know. I mean, I just I, – I, I know what you said. And Bruce Campbell is an actor. I, I really yes. like Bruce Campbell. I, I think know he's so much fun. But I don't know that he has the ability to play the emotional notes that Liam Neeson does. And I think, like, Maybe. the emotional notes are really good. I mean, because I remember, like – I mean, well, he tries to play some emotional notes in, like, Evil Dead 2 and in Army of Darkness. I mean, those are comedy movies, but – I don't know. I don't know. I've never seen him. I don't know if I've ever seen him do it. I, you know, I want to watch Bubba Hotep again sometime. I, oh, maybe yeah. he does it in that. That was a that was an interesting one. Yeah, he was really good in that. Yeah, it's funny because yeah, he you know, Raimi wanted to cast him. The studio didn't, but he you know, he said like I be, I still got to be Dark Man is what he said because mm-hmm. he is at the very end. And I always thought, not always, in the last day since i watched this movie again i thought that that could have been a cool sequel idea yeah you know if this movie had been a huge hit and you know Raimi had the clout to bring bruce campbell back have bruce campbell be dark man now because maybe that's his go-to face well i think i i i saw in the imdb trivia that that was the original intention but then i think bruce campbell couldn't do it for some reason. Oh, was it? Somebody else, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I I wouldn't want him to do the straight-to-video ones, but we will talk about those and have some trivia after the break. We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're back on Rewatchability. We're talking about Darkman. It's dark. It's dark. Scary. But it has some light moments. Yeah, totally. I've got some trivia questions for you. Okay. All right. Okay. One of Durant's henchmen, whose name is Smiley, <laughs> is played by a guy who also shows up in, an, in another movie we've done on the podcast before. Can you name that movie? Do you know who I'm talking about? Which one was Smiley? Smiley. I feel like this will give it away. But Smiley is one of the guys that tracks him down to the warehouse at the end. He's got long hair. Oh, yeah, the pretty boy. Do you recognize him? No, I don't, but he has pretty hair. He does have pretty hair. That's Dan Bell, and he played Neil in Wayne's World. Oh, Neil. One of, like, the Oh, Neil, the camera operator. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. I like Neil. Yeah, he's great. And apparently he runs a casting agency now. He's the one that goes, he, he mouths the numbers and then gives the right. sign. <laughs> I, I was going to mouth the numbers, but then I remembered how podcasts work. Yeah, good, good. Okay, question number two. How many movies have Sam Raimi and Danny Elfman made together? Oh, shit. There's this one. Yep. That's for sure. I remember that he did Oz, Great and Powerful, and I think he did Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2, but I read in the trivia, IMDb trivia, that the uh, that they had a falling out because uh, um, Danny Elfman wanted too many xylophones. <laughs> 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 um, I'm going to say four. Well, you're exactly right. You, yes! It is four, and you named all the movies, unless I'm mistaken, but I think that's all it is, too. Yeah, he was, like, super psyched to make this movie because he was a big fan of Sam Raimi. And nice. then he made Spider-Man, and then he made Spider-Man 2, and they had a huge falling out. Danny Elfman talked about it in, in an interview. He said, it's like my connection with Sam got completely severed. As far as I'm concerned, he went to sleep, somebody put a pod next to him, and when he awoke, he wasn't the same person I'd known for a decade. Whoa. He went from right there, number two on my list of favorite directors, to the exact opposite of what I look for in a film experience. And then he said, <laughs> he said, it's the first time I've walked away from a director in 20 years. I'd rather go back to waiting tables than to do Spider-Man 2 again. Wow. <laughs> And you wouldn't believe the shit I put up with, with Tim, you know? Yeah. But then he, yeah, somehow they patched things up because then he made the Oz, Oz the Great and Powerful. Well, that's good. Which was after Spider-Man 2, so. I, I want them to be friends. Yeah, me too. Actually, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> okay, question number three. Who did all of the uh, screams of the gangsters who, who got bumped off hmm. who, did, who did that additional additional sound effect work i'm gonna guess sam raimi himself oh you're close it's, ted raimi it's bruce his, campbell it's bruce campbell oh yeah 
He uh, yeah, he, he couldn't get him the the starring role in his movie, but he roped him into to come in and do like the screams and the gurgles and the sounds of the, oh, I like uh, that of the villains. I mean, it's probably good. He probably, I mean, he probably needed the work to be honest. I mean, you know, there wasn't like that many. Uh, you know, he wasn't a huge actor at the time. Yeah, he was, was pretty like you know work a day. This was pre Briscoe County, pre Briscoe County, pre Jack of trade back of all trades <laughs> so like we alluded to earlier Raimi wanted to do he wanted to either do batman or the shadow apparently mm. but batman you know didn't work out because they, they had other plans brewing and the shadow at that point was going to be made by i think robert zemeckis was oh. attached to make it who uh, did end up making it i, I don't know remember. Some guy, Some guy with Alec Baldwin. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, I feel like yeah, this movie also got kind of like mixed up with the shadow in my memory too, which mm-hmm. I think we did on the show once before. And we is, did. It's yeah. not a good movie. Hold on. Let me, let me look it up here. The shadow came out four years later. Russell Mulcahy. Mulcahy. And where does the Phantom fit into all of this? The Phantom was even later, I think. And, oh, okay. And that was, uh, I mean, it's earlier in terms of like, you know, pulp comics right. and stuff. But uh, I mean, even like Batman ripped off the Phantom. Right. Um, yeah. But that was, I think that was made after that. But going back to Darkman, so like we talked about, there was a lot of push and pull at the studio. From what I've read, there was a big Hollywood reporter oral history published last year for the 30th anniversary Neat. Uh, with pretty much everyone involved except for Sam Raimi, who apparently was just like too painful for him to revisit because he had such a tumultuous time making. Oh my God. That's Um, sad. Yeah. But like, (laughs) I guess it like from, from what I've read, it it all boiled down to like the editing process and just, they had a really hard time editing this movie. The first editor reportedly had a breakdown (laughs) editing this movie and left and they brought in someone else and, and the movie was testing poorly. Like, you know, when they, they do Mm -hmm. like advanced screenings and, and gauge audience reactions. So the, the studio whittled it down to a lean 85 minutes. (laughs) Okay. And then this this was – the editor talks about this in, in the oral history, but basically he said they were incredibly disheartened and dispirited and uh, they were really bummed out about having this, you know, mutilated version of their movie. I think their version was about two hours or something. Right. Studio whittled it down to 85 minutes. And then at the last minute, they said they spent 48 hours straight recutting the entire movie and putting nine minutes back in. It was basically just like nine minutes of stuff they really liked <laughs> and just did not want to cut out of the movie. Right. And, and that's why, like, the, this version of the movie is, you know, with credits and everything is, I think, 96 minutes. Right. Okay. But but they Still did this. Not long. Yeah. I, I kind of like how short it is, personally. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, like, flows really well. But this, like, extra nine minutes they put back in, they did behind the studio's back. <laughs> so they edited the movie. They, like you know, printed it or whatever. And then the studio noticed they did that and got pissed off and they're, but it was basically too late to do anything about it. Like they said, they, uh, they had like critic screenings lined up like a day or two later. So, (laughs) so they were (laughs) stuck with it, but it was like, you know, they basically like stole the movie back and, and, and fixed it 
behind Universal's back, which is that's kind of awesome. Yeah. I love that shit. I, I love that. So, like, there was a, a story circulating circulating recently about how like George Lucas stole THX eleven thirty eight from the studio. <laughs> this is kind of that, kind of like that. Um, awesome. Like we mentioned, they made two straight-to-video sequels, Darkman 2, The Return of Durant, and Darkman 3, Die, Darkman, Die. Mm. Uh, and spoilers, Darkman does not die in that movie. Oh, okay. uh, Despite the title. Uh, though I think, like I said, my dad may show up at some point. <laughs> um, and Darkman was played by Arnold Vosloo. Do you remember okay. who that is? No. He is the guy who plays the mummy in the mummy movies. With oh, Andrew right. Fisher. Yeah. No, I, you know, now that you said it, I remember his IMDb picture. Yeah. I can totally put it together. I yeah. guess they just thought he's good at, like, bandage acting. <laughs> yeah. If you need a guy in bandages. Get that? So he's in those. I guess those were, like... A thing for a bit. I thought there were more, to be honest. I remember more there mummies? being like or no more more, more straight to video Darkman movies. But yeah, they're... it just seems like there was like I thought there was infinite or at least four. Yeah, no, it's just just the two sequels and uh, Durant's the actor Larry Drake, who is I guess most famous for a stint on uh, L.A. Law before mm. this. He he is he reprises his role in the sequel. Okay. But uh, other than that, I think it's all new people. Mm. There was a comic book series. Makes sense. So Marvel did an adaptation of the movie, and then they did like a, I think, six issue miniseries. Cool. Which I was looking at some of like the covers and the artwork and stuff. I didn't get to read any of it, but it looked good. I nice. I would uh, I would check it out. I, I'd rather rather read the comics than watch <laughs> Darkman the, the, too video movies again but i mean you never know there was a novelization nice and then there were several other books too like they did like a series of novels wow there's a whole franchise it's a whole franchise man uh they also did a pilot for a darkman tv show that was never picked up wow uh and and i don't think the pilot ever aired but it is on youtube Uh, (laughs) i watched some of it it was Really bad. Wow. It's weird because they like the first like five minutes or so was like recapping his origin story and like actually using footage from the movie too. Okay. Uh, but like they changed it around so like the Francis McDormand character was his wife and she died in the explosion. No. Yeah. I guess because uh. they didn't want him like tied down or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> Women are going to want to have sex with you, Doc, man. (laughs) We want them to be able to think they can do that. We're putting your face on Tiger Beat. Some bandages over it. The Cynthia Lennon of the Darkman franchise. (laughs) Yeah, so it looked pretty terrible. Again, totally different cast, except for Durant. Durant's back, baby. Who's again played by Larry Drake. (laughs) And yeah, it was bad. But yeah, I, you know, I, I was looking up articles about it, things that were written recently. There's a lot written about it in the uh, on the 30th anniversary last year. Uh, it seems like there's just a lot of fondness for this movie. Like uh, I was looking at, there's an article on uh, Collider about how Darkman helped shape the Marvel 
cinematic universe, which I think, I I think part of their argument was like those movies were so defined by like the Raimi Spider-Man movies and the Raimi Spider-Man movies were informed by his work here. But then on top of that, like, like we talked about that balance, like this movie has like, you know, genuine stakes and like, you know, action and, and, you know, a, a superhero narrative, but then it's also got a lot of humor and a lot of like reverence, and and yeah. that's something a lot of the Marvel movies try to do. So yeah, you can see that here to a certain extent. Yeah, people just seem to uh, to really love this movie. I can't. I I kind of don't know why it's not more of a thing. I mean, now that we're yeah. getting into talking about how we felt about it, like I fucking love this movie. I thought <laughs> it was, was so great. Good. And I, I'm almost like mad at myself that I never revisited it yeah. earlier. It's so good. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know. I wish that somebody had told me that it was like crazy and and fun. Yeah. I wish that somebody had told me that it was gonzo, that there was like all these like way out there elements, but also that it sort of has like a soul too. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's all of I those don't things. understand why, like, you know, in, I mean, you know, I don't know whether I should say this and open Pandora's box, but it seems like one of those franchises that should be remade or that they should find, like, you know, some way to sort of give this character, like, a continued existence. Like, yeah, because they're, like, I mean, they're always digging up superheroes now that I've never heard of. Yeah. I haven't <laughs> heard of half these ones that are coming out. They're like, you know, the blue widget and, you know, uh, Miss Miss Lightning Face. I don't know those <laughs> ones. Give me Dark Man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's hard. To, like, I, part of me is totally with you. Part of me also thinks like, well, it's really just like, I mean, I think it's like Raimi at the stage of his career was just doing this kind of thing and made this such a unique movie. Like, I don't know if that could necessarily be recaptured as evidenced by the fact that the sequels, while they may have their redeeming qualities, I don't really remember what they're like. You know, that's true. Don't and- totally eschew that style. Like they don't have that sort of signature uh, vibe that this movie does. So, like, does the character, can that character exist outside of, like, this completely uh, unique yeah. style? I mean, this movie just kind of creates this this whole surreal universe for him, too. I, I just don't know. But then on the other side of me, like, is right there with you. Like, there's something about, like, the look of the character. Like, yes, partly yeah. it's, like, the invisible man, but it's also got this grotesque horror element. Like, he feels... Like it, like I said before, it feels iconic. Like it feels like something that already existed before this movie came along. There was also an article last year from uh, Bloody Disgusting, which is a, a site I like that talked about like why you know why hasn't Universal like adopted Darkman as one like one of their yeah you know, monster horror icons because you know they they've you know they've certainly propped up a lot of other. Uh, more recent horror franchises and this isn't strictly horror, but I mean, it's got that element to it. Uh, One thing, you know, everyone involved with the movie really lauded was the marketing behind this movie. Right. Because they, they sold this movie with like these teaser posters that had like a bit of, of the final poster, but in front of it was this text that said like, who is dark man? And just, you know, kind of like trying to sew this mystery around the character. And yeah, it just feels like a thing that was already a thing. And, you know, partly because I think, you know, 
he, there he was, elements. Yeah, he was scavenging from various pop culture elements that we all knew and and were familiar with, but but it just combines to create something that felt like it's it it was its own unique pop culture moment. Yeah, yeah and it's oh, kind of it's weird that we don't uh, celebrate this movie the way that we do some others from around yeah. this time. I mean, I think like it's. I think it's a gem. I think the fact that Sam Raimi doesn't uh, love it is probably part of the reason. I think, you know, if he had, like, better memories of it, then maybe it would be sort of re-released or given some sort of, like, attention. And it's a shame because I think, like, it is a really great movie. And I think it has, like, a lot of the elements of the things that we love from Sam Raimi movies in there in, like, a really interesting way, in, like, a context that we don't necessarily always see them. I like that it's like darker than Spider-Man. Like Spider-Man as much as I, I I think those are great movies. Like when Sam Raimi was the person announced as the director, I was like, "Him?" you know? Yeah. <laughs> He's like I could see him doing like Batman or I could see him doing something like weird, you know, but like Spider-Man seems like too bright, almost too like innocent or something. I don't know. But I mean, obviously like everything that he did was uh was was in Spider-Man was there in Darkman, but also like so much more, like there's so much like depth to his character, but also like, yeah, those things do come out in Spider-Man. Like that's Dr. Octopus. That's the green goblin. All of those things sort of get transmuted. And the other thing I was thinking is as much as like, I wish that there was, and sorry, just not to interrupt, but that's also a bit of Spider-Man, like at the end of Spider-Man, I guess it's Spider-Man one. Yeah. Spider, the end of Spider-Man one, like him, actively walking away from Mary Jane. That's very much like the end of Darkman. Yeah. 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 I think it's, I think it's great. And also, yeah, like I was saying, there was, I think it's great that, you know, because he didn't have access to the characters that he wanted to Batman, to the shadow that it made him sort of go within, sort of pull out the things that he liked and sort of create this new character, which is fucking fascinating and yeah. great. Like, yeah, there are some like weird contrivances with the with the character and the plot and the skin thing, but like it all works. It all comes together and it works. And if it had just been like the shadow, I don't think he would have put that sort of thought and ingenuity into it, you know? No, and I and, think that like that's what you better. have to do as a creator. Yeah. It's better it's than better. the shadow because the shadow, like I don't totally remember exactly what his powers are, but I think his his powers were more about like tricking people and like, mm-hmm. you know, almost like a hypnotism kind of thing because it was written for the radio. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> having like this guy like create these like physical, you know, tangible faces that he has to swap in and out. It's so much easier to watch or so much more captivating to watch. Like, and when they made the shadow movie a few years later, like it was just painful trying to see them, you know, like remember they gave Alec Baldwin, like that giant nose. Right. (laughs) So like, well, he's got to look a little different as the shadow. Yeah. And yeah. So like, I, I do think like that, not that it's a problem, but something I, I'm concerned about or that I think might be something uh, we're missing out on in terms of like blockbuster movies these days is that like these intellectual properties, these, you know, stories that are are owned by, yeah, intellectual properties. Yeah. (laughs) I just don't like that phrase, but like, yeah, these things, these stories that other people own that have been told before don't have the kind of 
gatekeeping they did back then necessarily, mm-hmm. which on one hand is good, but it's also like, you know, it seems like if there's like a young successful director who wants to do a Star Wars, they're, they're, they might get a Star Wars. You, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I know it's certainly like there's a lot of obstacles for people in directing, especially, you know, like female directors because the Hollywood system is built to uh, exclude them at any cost. But I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy for that, but I just mean like there's so much more of that type of filmmaking happening that we're seeing like more and more young directors who aren't even necessarily like that seasoned, like getting a chance to like, yeah, you make your Captain America movie, like, you mm-hmm. know, make, you know, make your Star Wars movie. Like it, that's happening more and more the more we get these movies. Whereas so many of the things we love that like are literally those franchises that are being, you know, disseminated to other directors are things that only exist because the people that hold the rights to those stories weren't letting young up and coming directors or storytellers make those movies, which mm-hmm. is maybe shitty for them. I, I'll give you an example. Like, you know, Spielberg created Indiana Jones with George right. Lucas because yeah. he couldn't make a James Bond movie. Yeah. George Lucas wrote star Wars because they wouldn't let him make a flash Gordon movie. Wait, did you hear that thing where star Wars and apocalypse now started as the same movie? Did you hear that? No. <laughs> I think, what's his name? Ed Solomon, the guy who does um, Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. Bill and Ted told me, or was on Twitter, he didn't tell me. He <laughs> said on Twitter that the, somebody from Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, told him that apparently back in the 70s, Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas were like looking to adapt Heart of Darkness and they had some differences in how they wanted to do it. And, you know, so Francis Ford Coppola went over and did it, you know, in Vietnam. And George Lucas did it in space. Mm. Which is pretty fascinating, if true. Yeah, I have to look into that. Yeah. But I do know that at one point, George Lucas wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie. And the rights holders didn't let him because I think they were trying to get Fellini to make one. (laughs) Uh, Uh, That's crazy. I just mean that like sometimes like not being able to literally adapt the thing, you know, forced creative people to make things that became in and of themselves iconic. And I think that's kind of what happened with dark man here. Like, yeah, Sam Raimi could have made a Batman movie and it, May have been better or worse than the Tim Burton one. We'll never know. I'm sure it would have been better than the fucking Alec Baldwin <laughs> shadow movie. But I think we got Darkman, which is its own thing. And yeah, th- thankfully, he was forced to uh, to invent his own hero. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So it sounds like we both think it's rewatchable. Yeah, absolutely. I was totally energized by this. I I just it gave me like everything that I wanted and like the tone is so unique. Like, yeah, it's it's Gonzo. It's funny and it's also like fucking dark and like, you know, it almost feels like The Fly in certain senses. Like there's a real like almost Cronenbergian like mad scientist element to it, you know? Yeah. It's, it has like everything. I think it's like a really well-rounded movie and the places where it falls short it does so in a really charming way because Sam Raimi, he wants to make this movie like 
this thing. It's so personal to him, which is probably why he's so hurt by the way that it turned out. It was so personal. He was putting so much into it. And, like, the parts that don't quite work, like, they still have, like, the ingenuity. They still have, like, the DIY aesthetic. It's – I like it. I think it's a great – it's a great movie. I'm so glad we watched this one. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I think it's terrific. I think – yeah, I I can't believe I had this like sense in my head that this was like the like watered down sellout version. And maybe you're right. I yeah, maybe it's because like he's kind of distanced himself from the movie to a certain extent. Like yeah, not even participating in that interview last year. Yeah, it's it's too bad because I, I really do think it's it's terrific. Like yeah, like you, I felt energized by it. I was like, where? Why have I not been watching this movie? Yeah. Over and over again in the past uh, 30 years because it's great. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not even like a huge Sam Raimi guy. Like I like his movies. I love, you know, Evil Dead 2 and and I'm I'm not not a Sam Raimi guy, but I'm not, you know. Yeah. I mean, I I can't tell you the last movie he made. I I wouldn't have thought that this would be uh, so exciting. And I think like, yeah, part of it may be too that like, yeah, some of of his recent uh, efforts haven't been – that fucking Oz movie. <laughs> Who needs it? And now he's making Doctor Strange. He's going back to uh, right to superheroes. So we'll have to I mean, see what, what could that's be good. Like. Also, yeah. I feel like it's low stakes because I don't give a crap about Marvel movies in right. general. You know, if if it turns out amazing and everyone's like, "Oh, this is amazing," maybe I'll you know I'll be like, "Okay, I could see Doctor Strange by Sam Raimi." And if not, I'm just gonna let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Is Cumberbunch back? Cumber Cumberbunch is back. <laughs> okay. I, I assume. Or bring Excellent. back Bruce Campbell. Just you know, have him swap faces. Oh my god. This was the original face off. That's another thing I was thinking. It's sort of like if this movie didn't exist, face off, it would have nothing. Oh man, we're just talking about like uh how this movie was similar to The Dark Knight. I just realized that in the movie before The Dark Knight, Dark Man is literally Batman's teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gonna have to go write my dark man <laughs> meta dark man dark night commentary think piece now. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you're still listening, this is Rewatchability for this week. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Rewatchability. We're at Facebook dot com slash Rewatchability. Instagram, what's the Instagram thing, Rob? At Rewatchability, I think. And I forgot to mention our Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash rewatchability, you can help keep the show going by donating a few bucks there. You get the show early and ad-free. And until next time, Dark Man. (laughs) Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.